Listeners, hello. Welcome back to Habit Helps, a podcast of Creekside Community Church in San Leandro, California, where we're talking about how habits build you and about how you can build better habits. I'm Jeff Bruce, one of the pastors here. I am joined once again by my dad, John Bruce. And dad, finally, after two months, we are back on the airwaves. The wait is over. I don't know if anybody was waiting, but we're back. How, uh, how are you, Dad? How have the last two months treated you? Uh, it has been a challenge, but I'm glad to be back, too. Yeah. <laughs> good, good. So in our initial episodes, we focused on the basic habits of a follower of Jesus, a disciple. We asked, what are the basic practices, rhythms of life of, of someone who trusts Jesus, who wants to know Jesus, who is becoming like Jesus? And so now we're going to pivot, and we thought it would be good to focus on the habits of a disciple maker. Talked about the habits of a disciple, but now what are the basic rhythms, practices, disciplines of someone who not only follows Jesus, but helps other people follow Jesus? And and this is relevant, I think, to any Christian, any follower of Jesus who is listening. And, And here's why. Every Christian is a disciple, and a disciple is a follower of Jesus. But I'd go further. I'd say that every Christian is actually, and by definition, a disciple maker. That is who God saved you to be. When he saved you, he purchased you with the blood of his son to be an ambassador in the world. He sent you out on his mission, which is helping other people become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. With that preface, Dad, here is my guess. When I say every Christian is a disciple of Jesus, I think most Christians say, yep, that's what a Christian is. I follow Jesus. But when I go on to say, yeah, and every Christian is, a disciple maker. I think Christians might not be as comfortable with that statement. Have you found that to be true? I think that that's really true. I I think we could say that there are disciple makers in the church across Mm -hmm. America. There are people who individually pursue helping other people to grow in their faith. But if you were to say, do we have disciple-making churches, I would say they're very rare because the church in America is not organized to make disciples. It is not training people how to make disciples. And so we tend to think of disciple makers as kind of SEAL Team 6 Christians, uh, right? kind of exceptional Christians, rather than something that every disciple has been commanded to do by Jesus. Yeah. yeah so, so why is that disconnect there? I mean, we've there's been a failure, you're saying, to, to train people in that. But I mean, if you read the Bible, it seems pretty clear— that to follow Jesus is to obey Jesus, and Jesus says, go and make disciples. So by definition, I should be a disciple maker. Why, why is there a disconnect between thinking of myself as a follower of Jesus and thinking of myself as someone who is actively supposed to help others follow Jesus? I, I lay the blame at the feet of the church, actually, because uh, the church is, is kind of the culture that develops right. disciples or the lack thereof. And because we haven't really put an emphasis on training people how to actually help people make disciples, people assume that coming to church uh, is is sufficient, um, right. and and so you kind of get what you expect. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that's why this this kind of a podcast is helpful because it's just demystifying the whole process of disciple making, and showing that it is readily within the reach of every authentic follower of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, I think that is a great reason to do it. 
And, and to me, the foundational reason to do it goes back to our identity as followers of, of Jesus. Yeah. Um, I, I think if you're asking the question, how should I live as a Christian, the, the first place to start isn't strategy, it's identity. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's who am I? Yeah. And I'm saved to be a follower of Jesus. I am saved to be conformed to his image, to become like him. Which means that to be a Christian is to be undergoing a process of looking more and more like Jesus in every element of life. And one of the things Jesus spent his time doing, in fact, the primary thing he spent his time doing, was helping people follow him. Right. And so if I am like Jesus, then by definition, I am becoming a person who is helping other people follow him. Right. And since Jesus said, it was very clear that every disciple's mission is to make more disciples. Right. Um, if, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So this is, a, this is kind of a no-brainer. Right. And, and again, it's, it's the last thing Jesus said to his own disciples. Right. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, with my authority, go make disciples. Right. And making a disciple, and we'll talk more about this, baptizing them, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And, and so if I am following Jesus, I am following Jesus into the world on his mission, which is a disciple-making right. mission. And I just want to hit that point home because the cultural water we swim in might lead us to believe that the, the primary things we do as Christians are consume religious goods and services. Yeah. Yeah. That that to be a growing Christian means I consume content here. I get this sort of worship experience. I get this sort of sermon experience. I get these kind of ministry programs provided to me. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and the heart though, I, I think for any pastor who really loves Jesus and wants to follow him, is that any of those things would be propelling you out to actually make disciples in the world. Right. And if they don't do that, if they don't lead to that kind of reproduction, they're a waste of time. Right. All of that's a waste of time. Right. I like the way Jeff Vanderstelt says it, that if reproduction isn't the end of what you were doing, if reproduction isn't the goal of what you were doing, then you weren't doing what you were supposed to be doing. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So, so if, really right. if more people aren't becoming disciples of Jesus and disciple makers, then we're wasting our time yeah. with, with something we're doing. Exactly. And, and so that's why this is so near and dear to our heart. Um, but again, like you said, demystifying this. Okay, right. if, if Jesus has saved me to be a disciple maker, what do I do? Do I go to seminary? Right? Do I, do I spend years in formal training before I go out and try to help someone follow Jesus? You know, seminaries are famous for their disciple-making skills. I mean, <laughs> oh, man. Producing a... disciple makers. Oh, dude. <laughs> no. We're not going to start a, a fight about seminary here, the usefulness of it. So uh, um, that's for another episode. But... Uh, but but right, yeah, I think but I think a lot of people have this idea in their mind, like you said, that making a disciple means that I'm a SEAL Team 6 Christian, that I've received all of this formal training, that I kind of know Bible and theology stuff backwards and forwards, and now finally I'm ready to go make a disciple. Um, and if that's the bar, then, you know, I don't think anybody's going to jump up and meet it. No, not at all. No, it's if, if Jesus gave this responsibility to all disciples, it means all disciples are capable of doing it. Right, Exactly. And so, by faith, we're going to step out and do that, right. whether I'm a quote-unquote professionally trained Christian or not, right. because this is what Jesus, in his authority, 
has given me the power to do. Exactly. And his presence is with me, right. as he says in the Great Commission. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Uh, his presence is with me. He's going to go make disciples through me. Yeah. And, and so th- that's the great encouragement as we do this. Maybe another perspective on it is, is that's helpful is that 80% of Christians indicate they came to Christ through a friend or a relative, not mm-hmm. through an evangelist, not through a program, not through a big church, but just through another believer who led them to Christ and helped them to grow. And that's the primary way that God has always worked in the world is individual to individual, individuals right. helping other individuals to know Christ and to grow in him. Yeah. And those people in turn doing that for somebody else. Mm-hmm. This is we're not talking about anything revolutionary here. We're talking about exactly what happened in the Bible and what Christ says is to continue to happen. This is the way the kingdom grows. Right. This is true in a prescriptive sense that we've actually been told to do this, but it's also just true in a descriptive sense yeah. that how have people actually come to be followers of Jesus right. in church history? And it has not been primarily through huge campaigns and captivating sermons and great content and things like that. It has traveled through relationships yeah, as it, people see the gospel uh, embodied uh, and, the, and the life of Jesus embodied in his followers. Yeah, it's, it's as it's been often said, it's caught rather than taught. Yep. Good. Well, we're, we're preaching to the choir, the choir here. We're <laughs> preaching to our respective choirs here in this conversation. Uh, but... Uh, uh, let's get down to the, the practicalities of this, though, and where you start, because, well, okay, I have to do what Jesus do, make disciples. And, and so I found a really helpful template in just thinking about this is uh, Robert Coleman's classic book, The Master Plan of Evangelism. This is a very old book, and I got to be honest, you know, if you write a book called The Master Plan of Evangelism, <laughs> you've got some swagger, man, <laughs> to think, I've got this figured out. Here's how we reach the world for Jesus. But really, as you read it, it's a lot more simple than you might imagine, because what Coleman is doing in this book, and it's a very short little book, is he's just saying, listen, Jesus spent his time making disciples, and then he told his disciples to make disciples. And so a very helpful question to ask as a follower of Jesus is, how did Jesus make disciples? Because the model that would have been in the disciples' mind is that of Jesus. Here's how Jesus invested in me, that will give me the template for how I should invest in other people. Right. And so Coleman just lays out eight principles for, okay, here's how Jesus made disciples. And so if you're going to start and figuring out how do I do this, let's just look at the model that Jesus himself right. gives right. us. Right. Um, and so he gives eight different principles, and we're just going to spend eight episodes talking about these and kind of fleshing out what they mean. Yeah. And, and again, this isn't like a eight-step perfect process for making a disciples. I would look at these more as these principles just kind of shape the rhythms of life that a disciple-maker always has. Exactly. You're always doing this at various levels right. with different people. Right. What would you say about this book, Dad? Because I know it's been, been formative for you as yeah, well. Yeah, this is always, this was one of the first books I read as a, as a, new, uh, as a new disciple, mm-hmm. and it is just his simple study of Jesus and how Jesus uh, made disciples translated to the modern day. Yep. And it is so, there's so much packed in every sentence because it's short sentences, it's short chapters, but it's, it, it's workable. Yeah. I, I've experienced all of this. I've, the, the, the most fulfilling thing I've done throughout my ministry is to make disciples. Yep. Is to see men's lives changed and then they go on to do what I did for them. And it's all based on this little book. Hmm. And, uh, well, it's based on the scriptures, but, but Coleman <laughs> yes, has, has based done a on great job of, of, uh, of, of defining these out in, bite-sized, 
gives it gives us rails to run. Yeah, totally. And if you want to find it, uh, there's several billion copies of this yeah. in print. So <laughs> you could probably find it online for free yeah. if you just type in free PDF master plan of evangelism. Yeah. It's there yeah. somewhere or it's on Amazon for like yeah. five cents yeah. somewhere. So very accessible, packed with stuff. So principle number one that we can glean from Jesus and how he made disciples is selection. Right. The first step in making disciples is you've got to determine I'm going to choose people to invest in and help become followers of Jesus. Why is this step so critical? Well, it's interesting. When you look at Jesus, Jesus has three, three and a half years to change the world. Yeah. So how does he spend his time? Well, we know John 1 through 4 is a description of the first months of Jesus' ministry. And what the first thing he does is he goes out and makes some friends Hmm. um, and uh, calls a group of disciples of John the Baptist to, to follow him. Yeah. And uh, he doesn't say, follow me and, and I'll make you fishers of men or anything like that. He just begins to spend time with them and right. let him follow them around and watch them. And, uh, uh, and so as Coleman says, uh, his concern was not with programs to reach the multitudes, but with men the multitudes would follow. Mm-hmm. Men were his method in bringing people to Christ. So, that, so Christ starts from the that I need to develop people that other people influence other people. Right. Even though he can do miracles, even though he can, can he can draw vast crowds, he can do things that none of us can do. Right. The foundation of his ministry is finding the right men to invest his life in who will be able to carry on his ministry once he returns to heaven. Right. And, and I think something I would note about that is just how counterintuitive it is. Um, and Jesus is often counterintuitive, but but imagine that that you, um, you know, had been commissioned to do the kinds of things that Jesus was going to do, perform the kind of miracles that Jesus was going to perform. Wouldn't you think that the best way to gain followers is to just go do some very public miracles? Um, create momentum, and then the crowd would create its own momentum, and then crowds could be easily manipulated to do all sorts of things on behalf of the movement. Mm-hmm. And, and yet, as you read through the Gospels, I would say that the attitude of Jesus towards crowds is either compassion for their state or suspicion, yeah. because they, they, he, they don't really get who he is, and he knows that he will have to invest far more in a few to impact than to just have this sort of broad impact on the many. Exactly. And, and we know from our own experience that changing lives is a time-consuming process. Right. It takes a long time. And, and you see, the further into Jesus' ministry it gets, the more time he spends with these little, this little group of men he's right. selected and the less time he spends with the crowds. Yeah. Because he sees what's coming. They have to be prepared for his departure and for them to take the baton and carry on. Right. Um, so, so crowds can be gathered easily, but they also disperse easily. Right. Disciple, real disciples have staying power. That's yeah. That's going to make the real difference in people's lives. Right. I remember uh, uh, there was a, a veteran missionary to Pakistan named Warren Webster, and he said, if I had my life to live over again, I would spend it changing just a few lives. Yeah. Because he saw that's what had the staying power. That's what really made the impact. Yeah. That's good. So you see that in the ministry of Jesus. You see this disproportionate amount of time with the few. Right. Um, Jesus does not go shallow with the many. He goes deep 
with the few right. and really invests this three-year period in them intensely. Right. So let's, let's shift to talking about how this might apply to us and then maybe some objections to it or some difficulty okay. with this. Does that sound good? Unless yeah. you have something else you would really I like think, to say. I think that'd be a good place to start. I, I think um, uh, it is, it is the, the habit itself is intentionally looking for people that I can help to grow in Christ. That's that, good. That, that's what I'm doing. I see everybody as a candidate. Who can I help to really grow in their relationship with Christ that I can invest right. time in? Now, so the question is, why don't we do that? And I think there's two reasons that, that most Christians don't do that. Mm-hmm. One reason is fear of, of inadequacy. I mean, right. am, am I not over-promising when I, when I think I can... I can help anybody else to, to grow in Christ. Mm. Um, I, I fear my loss of time. I fear my loss of privacy. I, I, I fear uh, what this relationship might might look like. Right. I fear the commitment. I, I fear I fear failure. What if I th- this this whole thing blows up or yeah uh, uh, yeah? What does uh, it say I, about me if yeah. the person really hates this experience exactly. and <laughs> goes uh, yeah? Or, or I, I I feel I, I fear my own inadequacy. Or what if mm-hmm. this? What if I disappoint this person? You know, right. I, they just I said I'll help you to grow in Christ, and then they don't grow. And uh, you know, so it's it's almost like. You're, you see yourself as a professional counselor, and and am I ready to hang out my shingle? So that's right. I think that's that, that's I think that's one big fear that keeps most Christians from doing this. I think the other thing that keeps people from doing it is pride. They uh, people hmm. want to be noticed. They want to be in charge of something big. They want to be doing something significant. They want to be a big fish who makes a big splash in the pool. And it just seems so to, to devote yourself to one or two people to helping them to grow. It just seems so not a great use of my time. So I right. think those are the two reasons that people either, it's, it's, pers- it's fear or it's pride or it's a combination of the two, rather than obedience to Christ of doing what he, what he did. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I, I like Mark uh, 3, uh, 14. It says, after praying all night, Jesus appointed 12 uh, that they might be with him mm-hmm. and that he might send them out to preach. So you've got, that's really discipling, being with the person and then sending them out to do what you're doing. Right. You know, so, and, and so Jesus selected those that he would, would want to do. Yeah, that's good. I think you've, you've named a lot of the, the fears and insecurities there. And I think to your point, yeah, we... Um, there is such a temptation to view ministry through a corporate lens in terms of impact and, and, and to use kind of data and metrics as, as the um, indicators, mm-hmm. you know, the only objective indicators of whether your ministry is successful. So you look at how big a church is, how fast the church is growing, right. all of these other things. And, and, and if it's all about kind of scalability and speed, Jesus' method seems stupid. Yeah. It seems stupid because why invest in a few when you can invest in a lot? And, and but it gets this 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 deeper truth, which is that real impact uh, is never microwaved. Right. Right. You have to pick a few, and um, and you have to to be less impressed with the speed or scalability of something than you are with the depth of impact. Exactly. I mean, parenting is a great example of that. Right. Is that everybody is is very 
impacted by their parents for good or for evil. Right. Um, even though they they only spent what eighteen years with them, and, right? And yet our lives are shaped a lot by yeah. either our reaping the benefits or the consequences exactly. of, of how we were just, parented. And it's just to show the 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 depth of influence one person can have in another person's life. Right. That's that's good. I, I think another reason we might not do this is I think we live in a, a very democratic society in the sense that, well, I don't have anything to teach you. We're all going to kind of be equal in authority here, right? There's not a lot of, there's a, there's a for, for a certain part of the population, there's a real hesitancy to do anything that kind of feels hierarchical mm-hmm. or like I'm the master, you're the pupil. And, and so how do we overcome that? And I guess what I'm asking is, how do you initiate this relationship when you want to disciple someone, right? Yeah. You pick someone, but let's be honest here. I'm not going to go up to someone, and I don't, and say, follow me, right? And then walk away and expect them to do anything. It feels weird to kind of to, to formally establish this sort of, you know, teacher-student relationship, with someone when we're both, you know, we're both siblings in Christ. You're my brother or you're my sister in Christ, you know? And, uh, and, and so how do you, how do you have that conversation? Right. I mean, this is a principle we can glean, but I guess what are some ways to do it and what not to do as you're thinking about picking someone to invest in? Yeah. I think great question. I, I think we take a biblical view of ourselves. Right. And that, as you said, we are siblings. We're, right. We're brothers, we're sisters, what whatever. Right. I'm not Christ. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not the master. I'm not the teacher. I'm not any of those things. I'm just another brother. I may be a little older brother, right. but it doesn't really matter. Because mm-hmm. what we're asking is let's form a partnership mm-hmm. that will help the two of us grow more in Christ. And I'm going to learn things from you, and you're going to learn things from me, but we're going to go there a lot better because the Bible calls us to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Right. Uh, we cannot grow by ourselves. So we're just being intentional about taking a clear truth of Scripture that we need each other to grow, and we're going to formalize that into some kind of a, uh, of a routine yeah. that we commit ourselves to of getting together so that we can grow better together. Yeah. So that sounds like spiritual friendship. Mm-hmm. That sounds like, um, yeah, sort of community in the church, which is great. But that feels still very sort of like two people shoulder to shoulder walking together. Um, is there anything more to the idea that I'm going to go make a disciple, though, in terms of, it, would you just say it's, it's someone has to initiate those kind of relationships? Absolutely. And, and Paul says to Timothy, he says, the things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men right. who will be able to teach others also. And so right. there's, a, there's a Paul to Timothy, Timothy to faithful men, faithful men who teach others <laughs> right. also. There's a, there, there's a multiplication passing on. going on. There's right. a passing on. So obviously people have to be willing to to pass on what they learn to somebody else. And that's kind of the key, the essence here, is, is they, first of all, they have to be, fa- we, you know, I think you, under, you remember the little uh, fat uh, right. analogy. We, we're looking for fat people when, we, when, we, when we're selecting. Yeah. They're faithful. Yep. Faithful men. In other words, past performance is indicative of future performance. Right. So I am looking for people not who just will, are, are glad to meet with me mm-hmm. or who are looking for a friend or something like that. I'm looking for somebody who is to me, demonstrated a desire to grow in Christ, right. a desire to follow him, and, and the ability to 
follow through on certain things. Right. Um, fat, they're available people. Right. The A, that they have the time to yeah. do this. They're not overwhelmed with work. They're not... Uh, they have got little children at home that, that they just can't see doing this. They may have great hearts, but they just can't fit this in. They're not the right candidate. Right. Most important, they're teachable people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the key here. Discipleship is really instruction. That's mm-hmm. what it is. And so if a person doesn't want to learn, doesn't want to, be, to grow, doesn't want to progress beyond where they are, then they're not a good selection. So those are the, the three things that that I'm, I'm looking for. We often say that great athletes make great coaches. <laughs> great disciples make great disciple makers. Right. And so who you select is critical to this process because if you select the wrong person, you can waste um, a long time. And I've, I've, I've was, had very low standards in the beginning. And, and I would... Warm bodies. Yes, I would meet with anybody who wanted to meet with me, and invariably I would find them using me for their purposes and resisting moving ahead in terms of Christ purposes. Right. They just wanted a spiritual friend. They just wanted a, if not a spiritual friend, just a friend. Right. And, and uh, rather than let's go together so that you have to have a clear goal that you're moving toward of learning to obey Jesus and helping each other to obey and looking for somebody who wants to do that with you. Right. I think that's really good, and I think there's a difference between someone being interested in Jesus and someone being interested in me. Right, right. And, and that's really important as you're thinking about who am I going to invest in. Right. Just because someone thinks the world of me or wants to be friends with me, and they happen to be a Christian, doesn't mean that they're a person I should invest in. Um, I'm looking for a person, if I've followed Jesus, particularly if i followed Jesus for a while, who I can transfer what I know and who I am to them so they can do it for someone else. Exactly. That's that's the idea. Yeah. I, I would say in terms of the selection process, um, I think I like the way you start. It's just, hey, I uh, it's been great getting to know you. I'd like us to go deeper in our relationship here and just spur each other on and follow in Jesus. What do you think? Um, it can be as simple as that. Um, here's the objection I think that some people are going to have is, well, Jeff, you're a, you're a professional disciple maker. You're a pastor, right? And so when I come up to someone and say, hey, I'd like to invest in you. I'd like to read the Bible with you. They go, oh yeah, that's a kind of pastor thing to do. Maybe I'll do that thing with the pastor. Maybe I won't. Um, how do you as a quote unquote lay person or just as a, a, a mature follower of Jesus, right? W- w- how do you engage that conversation? Um, and is it just the same way? You just got to be bold and do it. Yeah, I think clarity is the most important thing. And you have a very clear agenda here that, mm-hmm. that you say, you know, I, I really believe the Bible teaches that we need each other to grow. Yeah. And I am looking for, for men or I'm looking for a woman who, right. who uh, I can grow in Christ with. Would you be willing to get together with me for once a week or once every other two weeks? Right. We'll be reading the Bible outside of our time, and then we'll come and share what we've learned with each other. Yep. And and we'll do this for a year or mm-hmm. whatever it is. And at the end of that year, then we'll each go and do that for somebody else. So you're just, you're clear about the whole process. Right. That that it's not, I, I find that when you're not clear about things, people will invariably develop their own ideas. And Absolutely. And something else. So I think just having it clear that I want to grow in our friendship, I want to grow in our mutual relationship with Christ, and I also want it to be multiplied out. Yeah, it's our partnership in the gospel here. Exactly. We want to see this thing this thing multiplied. Right. 
I, I think beginning with the end in mind is is really key. Yeah. And and so yeah, this is some work <laughs> to do this. It, it requires some thoughtfulness. But again, this is what disciple making is. Just yeah. and this is what we're all called to do. Yeah. And, and so. Um, uh, you know, this is why you do it with a few and not with many, because it's going to take some intention and some forethought to be able to do it. And I think it's so good to begin with the end in mind in terms of saying, hey, I, I'd love to just spend time with you, encouraging you, pouring into you. And and, and I'd love to see you do this with someone else, because I think you really can. You know, that takes some boldness to go there. But if someone is responsive to that, you have now um, you have now established a goal for your time together. Yeah. And there's a difference, I think, and I want to, I'm interested to see what you say about just being in Christian fellowship with people and, and really being engaged in disciple making. Yeah. Right. You can be part of the same church, you can have fellowship. That doesn't mean that I am actively making a, a disciple. No. Um, or, or helping someone become a follower of Jesus. Yeah. It's this next level of intentionality. Yeah. Um I would say too that we can extend the the selection process to non-believers as well. Yeah. Because because discipleship and evangelism exist on a continuum. It's not. It's not like well, what, now that someone becomes a disciple, is a follower of Jesus. Now we do the really hard work of of growth. That that we engage with non-believers too to build relationships with them that are oriented toward following Christ and growing in Him. Exactly. And, and so, what would you say? Any any thoughts on that in terms of, um, it, you know, picking non-believing people in your life to invest in? Yeah, I'm not really. Inter- or I don't really care whether the person is a believer or a non-believer. Right. What I'm looking for is a person who wants to learn about spiritual things. Yeah. If they're a believer who's not interested in, in growing in spiritual things, then I'm not going to select them. Right. If it's a, if it's an unbeliever who is interested in learning about spiritual things, I'm definitely going to pick them. So right. it's more, it's not having labels, but it's more looking, who does Christ seem to be working in right now? Right. That's what I'm looking for. I'm trying to partner with Jesus. I'm trying to look for who is he, who does seems to have this spiritual hunger, this right. spiritual thirst that I think that I could help. Those are the people I really want to select and invest in. Yeah, and Jesus himself in Luke 10 and Matthew 10, when he sends out the disciples, he talks about who to look for as they go to villages, and he talks about the person of peace. And to me, that means someone who is open to relationship with you and open to the message that you might have to share with them. Right. And you know very quickly, with non-believing friends, they're all on different, they're, they're on a, a continuum or a spectrum in regard to talking about spiritual things, right? You have the ones who you just know this is absolutely off limits. <laughs> they, they know you're a Christian, thank you very much, but, but it's yeah. going to be more of a challenge to, to go there. They're not ready. There's other ones who are curious about yeah. what you believe yeah. and why. And, and if you have those friends, they're great people to engage and, and just start with, the, well, do you want to know more what it means to actually follow Jesus yeah. and, and read the Bible? And, and man, just reading the Bible with people sets all the agenda you need there. That's all. That, the Bible is the only tool you need to make disciples. There, there's no other curriculum. So good. And, and so, because a disciple is someone who abides in Christ's word. Right. And I've, I've found with my neighbor who, uh, you know, we've been getting together three times a week just to go walking and, and talk. And every week, I mean, every day, he'll bring another book of the Bible that he's been reading. Wow. And he'll say, okay, I, I'm, I read Acts 1 through 15. This is our conversation yesterday. <laughs> yesterday. And he said, <laughs> and he'll come with his list. You know, and he'll say, so what does this mean? What about this? Or how does this work? And stuff like that. And yeah. we, we've been doing this for months now. And it's the funnest thing 
I've ever done. So you just happened to have a Steph Curry in your in your neighborhood. Exactly. And, and now I'm now you Steve Kerr. Exactly. Just, uh, <laughs> I become Steve. Giving Kerr him a training regimen. Exactly. Yeah. Because you know, I mean, but you know, Mike is such a great guy, and he's so spiritually alive and hungry. Right. That it's it's just all he needs is somebody who's who knows something about the Bible to help him to grow, and so that's. To me, that's a great example of what we're talking about here. Yeah. We're not talking about trying to force a square peg into a round hole. No. We're looking for somebody that Christ is in at work, is at work in right now, that I can be Christ's tool mm-hmm. uh, in in helping him to grow in that relationship. That's that what we're talking what we're talking about. That's really good. And I think it brings up the point that prayer is essential to this process. Absolutely. Jesus started with prayer. We have to start with prayer as well as we go, God, show me the people to invest my life in. And this gets back to the idea of essentialism as well. Yeah. <laughs> that you've got one life to invest well. And so really pray about the people and then prioritize them who you want to pour out your life for. Exactly. There are obvious ones, right? If you're a parent, <laughs> You disciple your kids. Right. That's that's what it means, and and it's interesting to see in the in the Bible the the connection between parenting and disciple making. That that Paul often uses yeah. metaphors of of being a parent for disciple making and, and bringing someone up. So that's clear as day. All of this, you, you're already selected yeah. <laughs> those disciples by birthing them. Yeah. Um, but but outside of that, it's it's really praying for. Okay, I have a limited amount of time and energy. Who am I going to really pour myself into? Either um, friends who don't know Jesus yet or friends who do. Yeah. Um, is someone, as you're thinking about your community group, because we think this is the primary context in which this is going to happen, right? Within that community group, if you've got um, some years behind you following Jesus faithfully, look for someone who's, who's a little behind you in the faith and start praying, okay, who is faithful, available, teachable, who I can start um, a, a discipleship relationship Right. with, where we can be in the Word, we can be accountable. And um, the more people who actually did that in this church, I mean, it's revolutionary when it happens at the grassroots level. And I'd flip it, too, if you're in a community group and you are and you don't know much, and this is all kind of young, look for somebody in the group. Yeah. You could say, could you help me? You be, you seem to be a believer for longer. Could you could you help me to grow? And and that's the way you learn how to disciple somebody, by by being in that kind of relationship with somebody who's older and yeah. in the light of fire under them. Yeah. Because for that, the, the best thing to learn how to be a discipler is have a younger disciple pushing you and say, well, what about this? What about that? And, yeah. And, and so I think it works both ways. Absolutely. That, that we all should have somebody who's in front of us, and we all should have somebody who's behind us. And that's the way we keep the whole whole train moving. The whole train moving. Exactly. And it is an encouragement to you if, if you're not discipling someone right now, and you've been walking with Jesus for a few years, you've heard hundreds or thousands of sermons, you've read your Bible. Um, I'll tell you, nothing helps you grow as a disciple like making a disciple. Right. Right. Uh, and to give an example, when I was in college, you know, I was a Bible major. So I'm, I'm just getting... <laughs> content dumped on me every day, three chapels a year, all of these things. And yet, you know, there were real big areas of sin in my life that I was struggling with and not seeing a lot of traction. And one of the things that really helped me to get serious about my own walk with Jesus as a a 19-year-old is just taking three or four um, middle schoolers, Mm. and, and we would just, we'd swim at one of their houses, we'd eat pizza, we'd read a book of the Bible, but I realized that they were watching me. Yeah. 
Yeah. I realized that they were seeing the way I was dating. Yeah. I realized that they were seeing the way that I was talking and interacting. And all of a sudden, the 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 significance of my relationship with Christ uh, really came to the forefront. Right. Right. Because I realized now you are impacting other people. Yeah. And and whatever they see you doing, they're going to assume that's the normal Christian life. Exactly. And, and so I would just in, really encourage you, if you're older in the faith, listening to this, if you feel kind of stagnant, well, it's because you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. You can only, If you're following Jesus, you're following Jesus into the world to make a disciple, right. and you are going to stall growth unless you take that next step. Um, and so really, the question is, do you want to become like Jesus? Yeah. Yeah. And as a believer, if you want to experience the joy of that, well, at some point, you've got to take that risk— of saying, I'm going to invest in someone else to help yeah. them grow. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just the Dead Sea. Yeah. You know, everything <laughs> flowing in, nothing flowing out. And, uh, and, and, and uh, yeah, no, to, to be, experience God's grace, you have to be a channel of grace. Yes. Um, yeah. Jesus, uh, in John 15, talks about being the vine and the branches. And so Jesus is giving us his life, his power, his grace, his presence, his authority to do all of these things when we stay connected to him. And as we stay connected to him, the end result is supposed to be fruit. Right. And fruit is more disciples. And so when you are opposed to this disciple-making mission, uh, you're just blocking that life of Jesus in you that wants to go reproduce. And so I agree. One of the biggest motivations for me to do this is I never feel more alive. Yeah. I never feel more joy as a Christian, that when I'm then when I'm helping people grow in Jesus, whether it's a believer or a non-believer, right, right, that's exactly it. Because you experience Him living through you mm-hmm. at that moment. Yeah, love it. That's good. Great. Well, I think that's a, a good place to probably end off in our discussion okay. um, in talking about selection. Unless you have a few other things that you really want to get to, I just have one other. Yeah, realism, little reality check here. Okay, is that is that my experience has been, as I've watched people making disciples, almost everybody chooses the wrong person the first time. <laughs> and it, it is a necessary process. Yeah. Because you, you don't know what you don't know. Right. And as you get started, and you'll probably choose someone who looks good, but there's just no way you can know. Right. But they'll often get dis- become disinterested or, or don't get discouraged. Just pray yes. and look for somebody else, mm-hmm. because uh, it's it's like baseball. You know, if you if you hit you know thirty three percent of the time, you're you're a great player. And uh, <laughs> if 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 you're discipling, you know, if 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 uh, one out of every three people that you meet to disciple turns out to be a, a serious disciple, you're a, you're a great disciple maker. So right. just keep keep swinging. I I totally agree. And I think another way of looking at it is this, that this is actually the mission Jesus has given us yeah. to do. Yeah. And so it is a step of faith to say, I'm going to invest this much time in one person, because what if it doesn't work out? What if they walk away from the faith? What if, what if, what if, what? But let's, I like thinking of life in terms of trade-offs. Let's consider an alternative here. You don't do what Jesus said, and you don't invest in a few. Well, then you, were, you weren't wasting some of your time. You were wasting all of your time. Because it wasn't oriented toward that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so you just got to get really clear on what Jesus actually calls us to do. And then if we fail at it, at least we were failing at what we were supposed to be doing and not failing at what we are not succeeding at what we weren't supposed to be doing. Yeah. I just think when I hear that story, I just think about it. 
old, old story, but it's back in the 1800s in Chicago. There was a shoe salesman named, uh, I think his name was Howard, Howard Kimball. Mm-hmm. His last name was Kimball, and he was a Sunday school teacher. And uh, asked, the, asked the church if he could teach Sunday school, and they said, sure, we just don't have any kids that come to our church. <laughs> and so... And so he'd go out in the streets and, and just recruit these little urchins yeah. out there and, and, and bring them to Sunday school and, and teach a class. And, and one of those little urchins that he taught was a guy named Dwight L. Moody, yep. who, you know, who became he did a some things. and, yeah. and, and uh, <laughs> one of the you know, most successful evangelists and leaders. Of, you right. never know who you're discipling of, who, how God might use them in the future. Yeah. And, and uh, the fruit that you may have a direct link to. Yeah. Yeah. And ultimately I'm just one link in a chain. That's right. And, That's I, right. and I have to have that perspective exactly. in order to really be faithful to the mission that Jesus has given. Exactly. So that's great. I think that's a great place to to leave off. I would say the the takeaway practical question is, okay, after prayer, who is God leading me to invest in? Yeah. That's really the question to ask then. Okay. And and saying, God, show me who that person is, yeah. who is faithful, available, and teachable. It, it doesn't have to be 12. It can be one. Just please start with one. But start, yeah. <laughs> In fact, start with one. That's that's better. Please don't start with 12. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, uh, this is fun to talk about. It's energizing. It's convicting because this is the things that we're supposed to be about as pastors too. So great reminder to me in terms of what I should spend my time focusing on. So thanks, Dad. That's Selection. Next week, we'll be back and talk about association, how to hang out with people. So uh, thanks, Dad. And thank you, listeners. And we'll see you next time.